the Born to Be Mild podcast. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me for another great episode. We are now on installment 33 and the date is August 30th. Guys, I promise I am trying to make these shows a little shorter so that you guys can be sure to get through them every week. It just so happens we had another week full of super important news as well as a a great interview that I'm very happy to be bringing you. So, quesarasara for today, I guess. Also, I'm trying to make Born to be Mild a little less political. Shall we say more mild? So look forward to that as well as we progress. I mean, I wanted to talk about how much I watched the NBA this weekend for the first time since they came back in the bubble with the digital fans and the fake crowd noise and shit. I even had a really great bit about how sinister Ben and Jerry's tricks you into never being able to stop eating their delicious products because they send you down a rabbit hole with each pint, chasing one mix-in after the next. But alas, those will have to wait for another day. Because our country is under attack like never before. So I'm going to say my piece here in the outset, and then we will get into said interview with Miss April Davis. She is a fifth grade teacher here locally, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what it's like restarting the school year under the new guidelines of the pandemic. And finally, our good friend West Coast Nick will join us, and he'll help to recap the reframing of reality that was the Republican National Convention. So strap in, it's going to be an epic episode of Born to be Mild. Well, it took him almost four years, but we are finally fully living in Donald Trump's America. Cities burning and a president unwilling to lend a hand. Unless it's a round of applause for the true patriots who cross state lines armed to the teeth to come counter-protest in someone else's city and purposefully start shit. I saw the perfect meme this week, and it read, uh, Why is murder an appropriate response to property damage, but property damage isn't an appropriate response to murder? I'm just here ready to shoot someone dead if they break into this gas station officer. I'm on your team. Somehow or another, this lizard man that occupies the White House, who has cheated his way to whatever success he's had, has successfully united all of the hateful corners of this country. It's like Nazi Voltron or something. Of course, there are blatantly craven capitalists and outwardly hateful white supremacists. Those are the easy ones. But ever since he ripped the lid off of common decency, so many more have openly joined his ranks. The casually racist Italian uncle, who loves when he makes fun of those bums protesting by taking a knee during their sporting events. The libertarians who somehow get to their job on non-libertarian roads decided he's their guy too. Probably because chaos and anarchy are actually a part of their political checklist as well. Seriously, you could look that shit up. And somehow, the scared, the anxious, the downtrodden, or at least those that are white or don't mind the bigoted rhetoric, also fall in line with his boastful and completely fallacious comments. In the end, though, a large percentage of his support comes from the folks who, as Max Kellerman from ESPN puts it best, are susceptible to low-level information. Essentially, the stupid and the gullible. All right. Now, looking on the positive side, it's been pretty refreshing to see a lot of Biden signs here in the Youngstown area. And although our Steel Valley has been a Democratic stronghold for generations, it almost fell victim to Trump's nativist siren song in 2016. But there's real evidence right now that it won't happen in 2020. Although driving through the almost entirely white neighboring city of Canfield would tell you a different story. There are tons of Trump signs there. And when you get out into the rural area, it's not just Trump signs, but big Trump flags and homemade Trump banners and Trump fucking murals. 
It seems the president's main support comes from the affluent and those who have many large trucks parked in their unpaved and poorly kept driveways. Needless to say, many of his acolytes are assholes. Don't believe me? Alright, here are three examples from this week alone. The first, a yard sign I spotted right down the house, right down the road from my house. This beauty read, Trump 2020, fuck your feelings. Literally. It has a picture of Donald Trump with two middle fingers raised, and it's done in a dystopian take on the Shepherd Ferry Obey poster. The fact that someone would have the audacity to put something so crude in their yard and also believe that the message would be okay without any type of tongue-in-cheek interpretation or, you know, shame, says everything about what this monster has unleashed and allowed to crawl out from underground. Incident 2. I saw on one of Trump-friendly Facebook groups that I may have happened to join. Let's call it part masochism, part opposition research, okay? It showed somebody filming while behind the wheel of a car and driving over a Biden sign in somebody's yard. Needless to say, the comment sections were full of vitriolic support for this act. Which brings me to the trepidation I have about Incident 3. Because even though this show is titled Born to be Mild, I'm certainly not half-stepping my adamant support for throwing this vile bastard out of the White House. So in addition to a couple bumper stickers and buttons, I may have bought two big flags off the Biden website as well. I bought two flagpoles, and I stuck the bad boys, or nasty women, your choice, in my yard this weekend. As I was attaching the first flag, some lunatic lady drives by and with her window rolled down, slowed her vehicle and yelled out, fuck you, as if I just cut her off in traffic. Needless to say, this does not bode well for the outdoor scrolling LED sign that I ordered. But I know how to file a police report for property damage, so come what may, alright? But if you think for one second this is just me being paranoid, I got some reinforcement to my anxiety earlier Sunday when I read in the Washington Post about a deluge of other vandalism reports, notably in Rust Belt swing states by these pro-Trump thugs complete with photos of tire treads in people's yards as these maniacs drive over Biden-Harris signs again and again. And if you think for a second that's just them being shitty sports who can't handle the, when the other side plays by their fanatical rules, think again. It goes much farther than that. On the right, they don't just tear down signs of support, mind you. Yeah, I mean, you know, the same kind they've been using to show blind reverence for their candidate for years. These people are truly afraid right now of an uprising of decency and sanity. It unsettles them. It infuriates them. It scares them that their days of bullying and knuckleheaded supremacy might be coming to a quick end. Now, even though they got an, a, a pretty measurable bump after this week's RNC, look no further than Portland, Oregon, as to what happens when they have nothing left in their bag of tricks. Because I can't attribute all the gains that they made to that slickly produced cavalcade of lies and fear. What they needed was for those flames of hate and tumult to be happening in real time and in full color on TV sets across the country so they can distort the narrative as they love doing. And then they were gifted the shooting of Jacob Blake. The response to his shooting plays right into their spin and the reaction by Trump is to fan the flames even higher. It's lies. It's racism cloaked in misleading coverage it's false patriotism of the highest order, and it's got to stop. Little side note here on the segment with Nick Julia, 
we actually just started right in and talking about the RNC, so there is no formal introduction. So just so you know, that's the voice that you're hearing, and we just got right into it. We're here with April Davis. Um, what grade do you teach? I teach fifth grade. Okay. Hello to all the folks, April. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So she teaches fifth grade at Western Reserve Schools. Is that right? Yes. Western Reserve Elementary. We are one campus, K-12, to but I am in the elementary wing, K-5. to Awesome. And that is a school district here in Northeast Ohio. Um, so thanks very much for making time and, uh, we're going to have a really good conversation here, um, because I thought this was like, you know, the perfect time of year to have a teacher on and to give some insight into the much anticipated back to school event this season. And I also, while I, I'm on the subject, I want to give props to my wife for suggesting the topic at first. So thank you very much, Brittany, if thanks, you're out there Brent. listening. <laughs> All right. Now. First, I wanted to know, um, how did the COVID pandemic affect your your teaching? But I also want to know, um, you know, schools around the nation are gearing up for a very atypical year, but you had to deal with COVID affecting the end of your previous year. So can we first start with how that went? Yes, it threw everything into a tailspin. Um Everybody had great anxiety. You know, we did it without much, um, much participation. I don't want to say participation, much uh, thinking that we're going to do it. We thought, yeah, it might happen, but the chance is small. Um, so really, the day that Governor DeWine um, stated that we were going to do it, uh, we were all in shock. Mm -hmm. Um we got a message from our uh, admin saying, you know, take everything home that you can, have the kids pack everything up, take everything out of their cubbies, their desks. We don't know when they're going to return. Right. Um, and we were given this, the same directions. We were given an hour, get what you can and get out. <laughs> oh, my um, goodness. So they even gave you a time limit. They said, <laughs> yeah, you have one hour. And uh, we were, you know, for the first couple of weeks, there were no... No entering the building. We were not permitted. Um, there were no parameters. No one really knew. I mean, this is something so new to everyone. Um, and then af after a month, we were given times like an hour or two where we had to sign up and we can go in twice a week, you know, but there were very strict regulations. We had to sign a sheet saying where we were going. We were limited to our rooms um, so that they could cleanse and disinfect after we left. Right. Um, and then, so that was probably in, was that in March or April? In, that was in March. Okay. So it was in March and then your school year goes all the way until when? <laughs> like the uh, second week of June. Right, right. And so <laughs> how did your, now is this a state level thing or is this a local thing on how each school ends up having to uh, administer to the kids? It, it was a local thing, I believe. Um how they decided to go about it. Um, right. I mean, obviously it was a state thing that no one could go into schools, mm -hmm. but then they gave some autonomy to the schools on how they were going to do it. So, um, and how did that look? Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> right. Cause I hear that some people, you know, were doing the zoom, uh, chats with the kids and sometimes they were only doing phone calls once a week or whatever. So, so what was like your approach? Um, right. I, every morning around six thirty or 7am, I uploaded all of my materials, um, that I could, you know, uh, it's hard to take worksheets home and then scan them and get them into a computer and upload it. Um, and it's hard, you know, cause there's tons of them. There, I remember school. There's tons of them. <laughs> I really try to stay away from worksheets. Worksheets are evil to me. Sure. But, but they're just easier when I'm at home and kids are at home to give. Um, so I was oftentimes recreating things off the cuff, you know, to give to my students that wouldn't be boring and would be rewarding in their learning experience. I, I didn't want them to be useless. So I was trying to find things that would... Um, help their journey and prepare them for sixth grade all the while being at home. Um, so I would upload things in the morning. 
I would touch base back in the afternoon. I would constantly be checking my emails and be checking my Google Meets. The kids had no problem sending me a little buzz that they needed a Google Meet. Um, so I would log on and I'd meet with them if they had a, an issue with something. Um, Google was a godsend at this point because of Meet and because of forms and everything that they have. I've learned real quickly how to use Google um, and all the things that Where's they have milk? that come with it. Um Oh, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so there was no issue with the the kids getting online and, and having access to the material? There was no problem with access. Now, don't get me wrong. There were, you know, a handful of kids. Uh, we have a very small school district. So there, there were a handful of kids that would not get on. Um, and when that happens, you just I just pick up the phone and I call a parent. And, you know, many parents were still working. They're essential workers. And you have to take that, yeah. you know, you have to take that into consideration and know that the child is not going to be working on schoolwork until five or six at night, which then mm -hmm. I had to be available. I had to make myself available. <laughs> and, and if you ask my husband, he will tell you that I was on my computer from 6.30 a.m. until 10.30 p.m. So I was going to say, so your workday basically tripled when all this started. Yes, I was burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. And then, like, how did you end up wrapping up the year? Was there anything official? Uh, you know, like, you send out certificates and, and like, like, I know fifth grade, you, it's, it's kind of just about competency and making sure you get mm -hmm. the work in so that you can progress to the next grade. Yes. But, like, I wonder, like, you know, like, what happens when people just aren't getting the things done that are normally done, let's say, in a ninth or tenth grade year, you know, before the end of the school year? How do you pass them along? Right. And, and we did have a student that that was held, that was kept back, but the parent agreed fully. I mean, this child um, did no work, nothing, like <laughs> okay. nothing. We're talking yeah. like, and sometimes you have to put the emotional needs of the parent and the child first. Mm -hmm. You know, let, let's be honest, you know, who's going to remember, you know, subjunctive, the subjunctive or verbs or anything when they get older, you know, fifth grade is... I don't want to say it's a wash because it's not. It's important. My job is important. But fifth grade is a lot about developing the character, developing the student. And, you know, it's a crazy time. 10 and 11 is a crazy time. Um, right, right. So we really focused, we really focus on the emotional well-being of the child. I think my, my co-teacher and I do a really good job at that. And if the child, the child really had to do nothing to be held back, like nothing. And you know, law is you can only hold a child back one time. So I did not know that. Yes, one time. So you have to be very careful and, and think of the social, emotional, and what it's going to do to that child. However, so at the end of the year, um, really, we just had a big, a big closing. We all got on, you know, we set a Google Meet, Yay. and we set our, you know, our favorite memories of uh, fifth grade and, and how much fun we did have when we were together. And we had some really good times on Google Meet. Don't get me wrong. We had we had times where people, you know, kids played music for us on their instruments or, I mean, it yeah. was just... You I found mean, new ways to, you yes. know, engage with one another that you never would have been able to do in the classroom. Exactly. It, it, I'm sure it wasn't a substitute for the real deal, but like you guys made the best of it. And I got, I got to know kids better. You know, I really did. And my co-teacher, I couldn't do this because I have two children, but she went and visited every single child at their home to give them their, give them their things from Very that cool. from the end of the year. Yeah. Every single house she visited. Oh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I couldn't do that, but we did have a closing Google meet. Um, they received certificates. You know, we give out um, president certificate and so forth and so on. And those were mailed to them. But we still picked, you know, students in our classes that showed exemplary performance and things like that. And they did get certificates and were rewarded. So that no, I mean, that's awesome. That sounds like you literally did the best you could have done. We and did. We did. I, I could only hope that all the schools around the nation did half as good as that, you know, with mm -hmm. dealing with this completely out of the blue, you know. Yeah, you're first, kind of thrown into it in a matter of Once in a hundred years hours. type of yeah. situation. All right. So. Yes. 
moving on, uh, you know, during the summer, what kind of meetings are you having? And then are you setting up different types of plans and auxiliary, uh, you know, approaches? And, and, and are you waiting to hear from the state? And, and what's going on there? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, we've had meetings. We've had meetings about um, sanitation and how our rooms are going to be sanitized and what our rooms are going to look like. You know, it, it's it's kind of back to old school. I'm not going to lie. You know, um, my desks are set up in rows, which I'm not used to. Um, I'm a very non-traditional teacher. I'm on the floor reading to my fifth graders. Um, I have them set up in a U typically. I read them picture books every day. Uh you know, I always like the you, and, and, and to be honest, like I really liked when a teacher would just change the change the shit up. Like, and you'd come right. into the classroom, and the desk would be completely different. I'd be like, "What's right. going yeah. on?" It was like exactly. a whole new room. Exactly, it just throws everything into the air for a ten year old. You know, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> but Very who wants cool. who wants to go to school when they're sitting in rows looking at the back of someone's head all day? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just. But so that's just it. Everyone has to like face forward now, right? Yes, yes. Everyone's facing forward. We're approximately six feet apart i can't tell you where they measured from like if they measured from the butt of the seat to the next uh-huh. push of the seat i don't know um but my room is very spread apart with 24 desks in it um six of those desks will be empty because six children are choosing six parents have chosen online um okay so you know they're gonna have plexiglass around their desks and they're going to have to, per Governor DeWine, be wearing masks all day. Um, the specialist teachers are coming to us. What I mean by us is my room. They're going to come to my room as opposed to the children going to them. Um, right. So our meetings have really entailed the new scheduling, the sanitation, um, the walking, even the walking paths of the children. We have stickers on the floor showing where they're allowed to stand. Um, the doors the kids are allowed to go in and out of. The temperature monitor that they have to go through when they walk in. Um, all of our meetings have been surrounding that as well as um, enhancing our skills on the computer and on Google to be able to adapt our lessons and what we have um, to those kids also, because I am teaching both. I'm teaching, I'm teaching both. Are they going to be following along at home while you're, while you're doing it in the classroom or you would have to do it separately? Uh, good question. (laughs) Um, right now, uh, real time is discouraged in elementary. Um, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, elementary kids do strange things. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) so uh, and FERPA, which is, you know, the Privacy Act, we really don't want to put a kid out there. Um, so I think what I'm going to do and what we have been encouraged to do is record while we're teaching and have our Chromebooks. They've given every every teacher an assigned Chromebook um, facing my whiteboard. And I'm going to record my lessons and then upload them to my Google Classroom. And they'll be available whenever they can get to them. Correct. Yes. So they can okay. do it when they have time. And it's really cool. Like when I upload it, it'll also go on the calendar. So if they miss a day, they can go to that day and click on it and get that lesson. That's very futuristic so, and very yes. advanced and very mature for a fifth grader, might I say. It is. It is. Um, <laughs> And so are there any contingency plans if and when or whatever you might have an outbreak or things go downhill or whatever? There there are. Um, I guess if there's an outbreak, the nurse contacts the Mahoney County Board of Health and we go from there. Um, we have hybrid models ready and set up to go as well as full remote. You know, the parents have been told, warned, um, <laughs> given instructions that, you know, this is very much a possibility and what it's going to look like and hopefully it'll look a little better than it did march through june because we're a little more prepared um and again march through june wasn't horrible It, it wasn't at all we did our best we did our absolute best for those kiddos. and uh, But it was very ad hoc, and now you guys are a little more experienced in, yes. in the do's and don'ts. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right, so serious question. How do you plan on enforcing mask rules with these little hellions? 
Well, fifth grade, I don't think I'm going to have much of a problem. If, okay. If, if anything, I think they're going to be tempted to trade masks. Like, your mask is cooler than mine. So they may trade. <laughs> well, that's gross. Um, but I understand. I'm I understand. Ho- I'm hoping they won't swear at me under the masks. Like, because, you know, they do like to test their limits sometimes. Um, I, I feel bad for my, my friends that teach kindergarten and first grade. Um, you know, we yeah, have. Yeah, because I'm anticipating a lot of chin strap wearing, over the eyes, chewing. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? Like, like ridiculousness. And, <laughs> and like, hey, what do you do? There may be. There very well may be. And you know what? All we can do is reward the positive behavior. And if they keep them on, uh, you know, if they keep the go. mask on, reward. We really try not to focus on the negative behavior. Unless, of course, they're taking their mask and flinging it out across the room. Uh-huh. And, and in that case, <laughs> they may have to go have a talk with, a, you know, the principal. And that usually sets a kindergarten or first grader straight. They're scared Oh, my, that, yes. Yeah. You know, but... um. I'm sure we'll give mask breaks. You know, we're going to get up because we're going to be in my room just about all day. Right. <laughs> and we're going to get up and we're going to do yoga. I'm, I'm permitted to take them outside and they can take off their masks outside. That so, sounds really cool. Yeah, you got to get the ants yeah. out of the pants. And especially, I'm sure that's important for the kindergarten teachers. They're looking at um, getting tents and putting big tents outside in case it, it's hot. And we can go outside and sit and take our masks off and read or do our work or have read alouds. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity, I think, to just take a breather. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. (laughs) All right. So fifth grade is not a grade where you switch between classes, right? Uh, We do switch, but we only switch once. I teach science and language arts, and my co-teacher teaches math and social studies. So we do switch. However, this year, we're just switching teachers as opposed to kids switching. Okay. Okay. And so let's say at the high school level, how does that work? Do they all just stay in the same room all day? No, high school is switching. However, they have built in additional minutes to switch for kids. So they've built in instead of like two minutes or three minutes, I think they've built in four or five and they're switching so that no more than one grade is in the hallway at one time, as well as they're permitted to carry their book uh, their book bags this year. Um, okay. They're allowed to go to their lockers in the morning to get whatever they need to put in their book bags and at the end of the day. But other than that, they'll have their book bags. Okay, so that keeps them from uh, commiserating at the lockers between classes. Yeah, some of the best times I ever had in high school, yes. Well, of course, I know. (laughs) And, you know, I guess all the teachers around the whole country or the world are just going to have to let their students know that this is just a once in a hundred year type of thing, hopefully, that um, you will all be able to look back and say you were a part of and and that you did your best and everyone got out of it as good as they could. Yes, um, all right. So you're obviously, like you said, not just an educa- educator, but you are a mother. Yes, I am. Um, do your kids go to the school where you teach? No, my kids go to Canfield. Okay. And so um, d- does that make it more or less difficult? And then how is it different for where they're going? Um, for me, it makes it less difficult having them in a, in a separate school. I, I chose to do that. Um, they did go to Western Reserve for a while. And quite honestly, I don't want to know everything they're doing. <laughs> so sending, yeah. sending them to Canfield, I get to know about their day when they come home. Um, and I get to see the excitement in their eyes and not see every minute of the day. Being a teacher's kid is, uh, can go one way or the other. And it's right. it's probably best that you, you just like took that variable out of their uh, exactly. education experience. That's exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much. This was really informative. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And I wish you the best in the upcoming school year. You might want to touch base with me in about four months. You know what? I actually probably will because this is, you know, a really important topic nationwide and we all want just nothing but the best. And, you know, unfortunately, it's probably not the kids in the school who are going to determine how bad the outbreaks get come fall. Right. So, you know, it all depends on them, them parents at home and how well they do. 
I love my job and I hope, you know, I'm so excited to get back into the classroom. Masks or no masks, you know, I want to see their little faces light up and uh, I, I hope we can be there all year. So. All right. I wish you luck. Thank you so much, Ron. I wanted to claim this as the Bizarro Seinfeld convention because it was a convention about nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And what I mean by that is that they decided as a party, as representing apparently 40% of the voting public, that they were going to have no platform, I think, you know, in the history of histories, no platform to run on. They're just going to do whatever they want, and whatever Donald Trump says is good with them. So it's not what they're about. You know, it's about what they're against. Right. I mean, it's very clear that it's a clear distinction that they're making, saying that, you know, they're going to go in there and uh, figure out a way to make the, I guess, the Democrats feel the you know, pain they're feeling because they have been destroying the country. And it's, it's saying a lot about how they feel out of control of how the, the direction of some of the the democratic policies are going. I don't understand why they feel like there's nothing that they can do about it except complain, but apparently that's, that's where they're going to go with it. Yeah, they're not exactly a party of ideas right now, except, you know, fear-mongering and smear tactics. They are extremely good at that. And also, slickly, you know, producing a couple nights of uh, television coverage. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to create a situation where Trump is any more, I, I want to say, presidential. Because they the, the the posturing of the the White House and everything seemed to like I don't know if it fell flat it didn't really like sell to me and I don't know if I'm really susceptible to those types of things but it it all those little vignettes where he was uh, what did he do he uh, there was the John Ponder he uh, his commitment to redemption and second chances he delivered a full presidential pardon right uh, exactly so yeah yeah, so that gets to something i wanted to talk about there because you had a pardon as part of the proceedings you had a naturalization ceremony as part of the proceedings yeah and um which i think some of them didn't even know that that was going to (laughs) happen right right i mean it's so disgusting it's like basically um candid camera and let's make a deal and um, the fires of hell all coinciding one, you know, on camera for everyone. Well, and it's interesting um, because they're, they're like with the John Ponder thing, like it seems relatively positive, but it's all with the backdrop of the White House and Trump, like effortlessly breaking the law with the, with the images that he creates. It's 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 like he's trying to control the narrative through like almost setting up a show kind of situation. Yeah. So it's it's Trump. It's. The smoke and mirrors presidency. Right, so it's um, all from the show. Pompeo giving a speech while on official visit in the Middle East. So, um, you know, everyone in law enforcement and who was politically savvy before this week even began knew that there was going to be a litany of Hatch Act violations. Yes. And there was actually an official who went on the record saying something to the effect of, who cares, what are they going to do? Right. <laughs> so, that. so that that's really reassuring that they give a shit about, you know, actual acts, laws, um, precedent. They don't care about anything as long as they can own the libs and get the win at least for the night. But like, well, you know, like just just looking at the uh, nepotistic lineup of oh, I know. of speakers was enough to make speakers. you want to vomit. Yeah. So yeah. it was just yeah. you know. It was essentially half the Trump family, and then the other half was the biggest sycophants in that they could find. Well, and going back to the Hatch Act, I mean, you see the 
I, you see something formulating here. At least I, I, I'm kind of starting to is Trump's making a bet. He's making a bet that he will get reelected and McConnell will get reelected and he'll get impeached again and they'll just walk away from it. And and they can do pretty much whatever they want at this point. So they feel like kind of isolated or uh, I, Trump feels like he's above the law in a very special way now. Yes. So uh, I believe I they, you were looking for possibly inoculated because yeah. <laughs> uh, they're they're completely impervious to any recourse whatsoever because they know that they have the overwhelming support of all these terrible, terrible Republicans in the Senate yeah. who hopefully are going to be voted the hell out in so many important states and, you know, even unimportant ones too. As long as we get an overwhelming majority, uh, there's a lot of talk going on about getting rid of the filibuster so that they can actually steamroll a bunch of stuff through. And this is necessary because, like, the way that um, kinder and more thoughtful men set up this country is not um, being enacted by the barbarians who currently hold office, you know, and the totally craven monsters who totally hold office are, are treating it. So, like, we have to get rid of the Electoral College. We have to get rid of the filibuster, even though I believe that's a newer thing. But, like, all these uh, procedural gummings of the wheel have got to go because Congress is able to get nothing done these days, and it's on purpose. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I digress. We, we should probably get back to, yeah. <laughs> to the No, convention. I was just going to say uh, one, one other little bit there. Yes. Is I was uh, reading about Kanye uh, and his being on the ballot and <laughs> yeah. they i mean I, I you know it goes back and forth but he was they were saying that it was like a vice article or something like that and they were saying that even if they wanted to try to get con i mean because it's obviously illegal what they're doing i mean he didn't uh put his bid in uh, in time so they they you know did some work to try and get him on the ballot in some key states that where they think that they can use him didn't work in ohio so they, which i'm happy to say yeah but they said that the the DOJ and the people that would be in place to prosecute this swiftly, they're just not appointed. There's nobody in there. So Trump has created a situation. They said it could take up to a year to get Kanye off the ballot. And we're like, awesome. Yeah. So like it's pointless. So just another thing that they've done. Well, yeah. So you can imagine that there was probably some weaselly little Republican asshole or Trumpist asshole. You know, I don't even know how to. Uh, call them anymore because they're not republicans like if you look at what a real republican used to be just five years ago is nothing like what you see right now it is essentially america's nazi party so that's what i'll refer to them as it's fine Um, with me we can go right (laughs) right right absolutely because dear leader uh and the fuhrer what he says goes and it changes minute by minute and everyone's just like yes sir yes sir um there's a couple of uh so, uh, yeah, going back to the RNC, um, did you see uh, the two, like, there was a couple of NFL athletes, uh, Herschel Walker I saw and Herschel. Jack Brewer. Oh, that was so disappointing. Like, I, know. I was just thinking to myself, like, how important is, like, you know, hanging around rich people and uh, someone, you know, kissing your butt about your college career and maybe hooking you up with some hotties? Like, you're a grown man. Like what? What's what? Do you, just do this shit yourself. Like, why do you need to be next to power and be wined and dined? Well, I just thought it was interesting. Like, the, the there was a lot of people coming to the defense of Donald Trump. There's always this defense of he's not racist. I know he's not racist. I know him. He's not racist. Yeah, it's not but, how they portray him. Well, if you keep having to talk about the fact that this guy's not racist, why are we cont- like? Shouldn't this be done? Shouldn't we like? Well, the point is, is that there is much more public evidence to the contrary, and yet, you know, they're trying to bring up these anecdotal evidences from the private life that we just haven't had a chance to look at. It's like, are you kidding me? This guy would, uh, this guy would slap a Mexican two-year-old if nobody was looking. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's racism. It's definitely, it's, I mean, feeding, like, it's there. It's otherism. The, it's classism well, it's, for, for it's, sure. It's, he's a supremacist. So whether he's a white supremacist, it's irrelevant. He's a supremacist. He thinks he's superior to pretty much everything. And now that he's a president, I mean, 
his narcissism and supremacist ways are just heightened to the point where he's willing to commit crimes in public uh, for the benefit of his election. So because he's been <laughs> he's been shown time and time again that nothing is going to happen. Um, you know, you had the Trump family, right? And they all yeah. did their part and they all play their roles really well. You have the other daughter doing whatever the hell she does. Tiffany? Uh, yeah. And I mean I don't like know too she, much every, about Tiffany. Th- the whole point is she wants to soften up the image. And then uh, Ivanka wants to let you know how well she's done, and or how well he's done. And, and Melania obviously wanted to let you know that he's actually a compassionate individual, and that this administration does care about all she the crap the, that they say that they don't otherwise. Right. She was the only one that mentioned the virus. Right. She was the only one that mentioned uh, the you know uh, systemic racism. I mean, I don't know exactly yeah. how she phrased it, but it was it was a nod towards it. It was kind um, of in her, you know, robot mail order bride way. Yeah, <laughs> that's did all it was. Did she mention George Floyd? I think she did. I can't remember. Uh, neither can I. Yeah. Uh, whatever I look at her, it's pretty gross because it's Stepford mixed with automaton, mixed with like, you know, kind of like Russian plant or something. Yeah, it was, like, it I, was I mean, I know that's not where she's from, but it's like that's that's what she gives off. And then did well, you see... I know you, you used to be in the fashion industry, man. Yeah. Like, did you see her outfit and how it was compared to, like, the exact kind of thing that Eva Braun used to wear? It's... She's really... I, I don't know if they're doing that on purpose, but those types of styles... It was styles, shockingly I mean, similar. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're into that type of look, but, I, I mean, look, you have a lot of military kind of styles that kind of get popul- popular uh, in, like, basics... Uh-huh. Um, right. Those become like pretty but that was like so on the nose that kind of <laughs> just was go, pretty spot on there. It, make, it seems like they might have done that on purpose, but I that's the one thing I always think about with the Trump criminal family is do they do these things on purpose? How much or, of it is on purpose? Well, well, I know that Don Jr. is out there trying to pretend like this administration gives a hell about the uh mountain men in, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, he's, been, he's been telling that line he's been saying that he's like an outdoorsman and and he I is just, you know he is i because, mean compared to like what <laughs> well he's an outdoorsman when he chooses to be so when he wants right. to go on safari and yeah. you know back in the day i'm sure from the luxury of whatever kind of cabin he you know can afford which is damn near anything right and you know when he was done with college and didn't know what the hell he wanted to do you know that's what he that's the kind of life he wanted to live. He actually didn't want to go to prestigious Penn or wherever he went. He wanted well, to just go to like Arizona state. <laughs> Matt Gates um, had a nice little line where he said, the Dems are going to invite MS 13 to live next door to you. Like I this is the type that. of rhetoric rhetoric that you, we were getting night after night. Well, it's interesting. The, the, I'm the thinking MS-13 to myself, reference. like, isn't that better than the Nazi that you might actually be living next door to? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I don't know if MS-13 is even activated in a way nowadays that would be dangerous. That's a very old... I'm going to have to look it up, but I I don't think that they're as active uh, as they once were. So that's always interesting to me that they bring up MS-13. And, and you're totally right. Uh, some of the uh, far-right people are going to be in your neighborhood. I mean, that's almost a guarantee. Yeah, they're right next door to you, and they're crazy as hell. Yeah, and they have, <laughs> I mean, largely, I mean, I'm not trying to draw some association that every, you know, far right, uh, you know, thought leader or a group is uh, associated with guns, but it seems to be pretty common. It is, and my yeah. God, they're arming themselves to the teeth, and it's women as well. It's like yeah. they have this... Um, hyper testosterone fear you know like i don't know what it is but i it seems to me like if you're gathering up that many guns you're more afraid than the average individual what do you have to be afraid of most of you live in the country and i understand that a lot of you are shit starters by nature and you're the ones who want to have bar fights and you're the ones who want to scrap and do whatever but like you're bringing that stuff upon yourself and you're living in a negative world day after day that is not the reality that the rest of us live in well the one thing that i keep going back to with the negativity between 
far right, far left groups. There, there's just a real sense that people just don't want to see each other's ideas. Because I, I live a life where I want to understand you. I don't want to be enemies. I just, you know, we have different outlooks. I don't think that we need to be enemies just outright, like before we even talk. And the inability for people to see the other side or learn about it has just hit a like a stride that I've, I never thought would happen in this country. But I, I truly believe that, you know, if you can't hear people, then I don't know how you're ever going to remedy this type of situation. Um, I think what you have to do is vote out the enabler. And then that way, all this type of behavior has to go back under the rocks where it was for the past right. however many years since we were able to kind of sweep it under there 60 years ago. Well, like, it's largely considered stupid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But stupid has a place in society nowadays. It is revered and it is actually exalted because um, you have your alternative facts as opposed to the people who do their best to make sure that their facts are real. Um. <laughs> so Biden's speech ended up actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Biden's speech ended up being high, more highly rated than Trump's. Oh, I mean, it was great. I mean, the the those types of ideas. I was just. It's been so long since I've heard somebody who had an opportunity at the presidency to say something that made me feel like there was hope. You know? Right. Well, I mean, it would be two thousand eight, obviously. Or, uh, you know, um, it's kind of weird. I mean, you can consider, weird. though, uh, older, uh, you know, the, just the political discourse used to be a lot more civil. That's kind of what also is kind of my point. Oh, sure. I mean, like, the Biden campaign is a re- return to sanity. It's a return yeah. to normalcy, empathy. And a lot of people, you know, on the far left want to talk about how status quo wasn't working. It's like, well, we have to get back there at least before we start making real progress. Um, But I was just thinking, you know, like, I thought that when you play the hits, you were supposed to draw the crowds because nobody wants to hear the new stuff. You know what I mean? Um, So when (laughs) Trump came out and wanted to just ring the bell over and over again, you would think that that would have drew the eyes to the tube like it was just another night of Hannity. Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't work out that way. And I'm totally okay with it. Yeah. He didn't really come across as somebody that was going to do anything except complain about how bad the Democrats are handling the country, even though he's the president and that type of rhetoric. I just don't know how you like do the mental gymnastics to figure out that he's in charge and he can do kind of what he wants to do. So the constant beating of this drum that, you know, like Jim Jordan was saying it, um, a lot of them, uh, I think Rand Paul was saying it. It's, it's the Democrats' fault that yeah. the country's in the situation. Turn on your in. TV currently. Here's what's going to happen if Joe Biden's elected. Uh, what are you talking about? That doesn't work. That does not compute. It you would need Bella Caroli to get you ready for those gymnastics. <laughs> I just don't know how you can say that. Like, So what are we waiting for? After you get elected, what's going to happen that's different? I, I don't understand. And you're even claiming to double down on doing more of what more of what you're doing now and it just seems like that's falling on like i don't know it just doesn't seem like it's accurate he's telling people who want to hear that type of thing that type of thing um trump's very eloquent flag that he's disseminated throughout the course of the last couple years you know because his 2020 flags have been out for a while now um one of them just says uh no more bullshit and Brittany was like we should just go out and put tape over no because that's essentially what you're flying the flag of is the flag of more bullshit it's like what do you mean no more bullshit that was what you were there to do and it's only gotten worse it's just interesting all the different stances that some of the republicans have taken in the convention uh i think mike pence said what did he say Make America great again, again. Lovely. I mean, it, what am I supposed to do with that? Literary I, I genius. Put it on a t-shirt and have people laugh at you. It's just a lot of these slogans, it, it just doesn't, like, why are we still, like, the fact that they kept going with Make America Great Again, three and a half, 
three and three quarter years into the presidency, just fundamentally on its head doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, but I mean, they are essentially a blue oyster cult and all they want is more cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just um, ride it ride it till it dies. Any Literally. other points you want to bring up about this uh, horror shit show that we had um, to... There was the one, uh, I just thought it was interesting that uh, Pam Bondi, the Florida Attorney General, she uh, she was the only one that mentioned the Biden-Ukraine scandal. Okay. From what I heard, the overall, they, they didn't want to remind voters about the impeachment, so they chose not to mention it very much. Interesting. But it's interesting. Yeah, so, because, I mean, look, they don't want to remind people that he got impeached. But Pam is an interesting character. When she took over the attorney general trump actually had like a vested interest in this she dropped the trump university lawsuit in the state of florida so potentially saving the trump's millions of dollars in exchange for a twenty five thousand dollar (laughs) payment that is lovely i mean that is how the exchanges are made baby but it's interesting that she took 20 everybody was talking about how she she only took 25 like she could have got at least 130 right you would think, but she's obviously not good at the art of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's terrible. And the, yeah, and the one other one was uh, the other NFL player, Jack Brewer, who, what did he say? He said, are you going to allow the media to lie to you by falsely claiming that he said that there were very fine white supremacists in Charlottesville? He didn't say that. It's a lie. And ignored that so-called Black Lives Matter organization that openly on their website called for the destruction of the nuclear family. My fellow Americans, our families need each other. I mean, that was, when I heard that, I was so like, what did, Enraged? What did, you, th- <laughs> well, what did you think he was talking about? Yeah. I mean, there's only a couple of options in that context. So, well, no, what, the- what he's tried to equivocate from that speech was that, um, so, at the Charlottesville rally, there were these white supremacists, and then there were these other people who just liked the history of the South. Like, he was making a distinction within that group as if everyone wasn't there for the same thing. Yeah, it just seemed really odd, and it's just uh, more of these, like, mental leaps that Trump supporters have to do to to, to support him. Because, I, I mean, at some point, you know, you can't do every single one. So, you know... I just think that with the the Trump administration and, and some of the things that they were saying at the RNC, it's a lot of this, just throw everything at the wall and we'll see what sticks and then we'll, we'll run with that because it just doesn't seem like there's any type of logic uh, behind this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I would categorize that as a Charlie Sheen level of winning. And yeah. I can also say that I hope that this entire country gets a chance to go to rehab really, really soon. Yeah, I um, agree. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. And I, I didn't even actually get to introduce you because we just kind of rolled right in here. So as always, <laughs> thank you very much, Mr. Nikulia, for coming on and helping us yeah. out with the pod. Yeah, no problem. And that's going to do it for this week's Born to be Mild podcast. Remember to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Ryan Little for our awesome intro music. And we will see you again next week. 